briefly uh, remind you of where we were last Sunday. Last Sunday's message has, message has been one of those ones that I, that I just have not been able to shift. To the point is that we, uh, as I got towards, towards Sunday, that the word from last week was still, was still sitting so heavy on me that it was just us all. I felt like I was wrestling through all week. And, um, and so it was this idea as, I've, as I continue to look at Jesus, as I watch him, he is truly the greatest man who ever lived. There is no one like him. There's no one like Jesus. And, I, and as I watch him, I continue to be amazed at how he treats people, the way he, the way he communicates, the way he communicates the value and the, the worth that he places on people. And, uh, and so for me, I, I have felt that the, the, I felt the importance of what I shared last Sunday. Because for all of us, I think the way that we have, the way that we maybe have approached our evangelism, the way that we have approached um, how we speak of what the gospel message that all of us have been entrusted to carry, our, our default or the, the place we go to automatically is to, to provide direction. The place we go to automatically is to tell people what they need to do, point people uh, where they're going wrong. And, uh, and I'm not saying that that's not important. But I think what I have begun to see in the life of Jesus is before he did that, in how he treated people, he was communicating to them that he was with them. And he was communicating to them in his treatment of them that he was for them. And so as we looked at the story of the sinful woman, it almost seems, it almost seems an awful tagline to be, to be labeled with. But the, and maybe your Bibles don't, don't say it, but the wee tagline above Luke, Luke 7, these verses in my Bible says this, the sinful woman. You have this story of this, uh, this prostitute who, who found out where, that Jesus was at the home of a Pharisee and she, she made her way and she she poured out everything she had in worship to Jesus. And Jesus acknowledged her. He placed such, he placed such significant value and worth on this lady that his response to her was to call her daughter. His response to her was to be with her. His response was that in his treatment of her, he was communicating, daughter, I am for you. And it was from that place that he was then able to, he was then able to, to provide direction. It's what he did, I think, with the woman that was caught in adultery. He his treatment of her communicated to her that I am with you. All these religious people are against you, but I'm for you. And then he offers direction, daughter, go and, go and sin no more. He offers direction, but it's after he's communicated to her that I am with you and that I'm for you. And that has been a huge challenge to me. As I've, as I've continued to sort of examine and witness my own reaction towards certain people, towards uh, certain things, I've been so challenged by my default continues to be that I'm prone to label. I'm, pr I'm prone to, to, to set up an us versus them. And Jesus just never seems to do that. The love and the affection that he places on people, they know that here is one 
here is one that I can trust. He's loved me in such a way that I know that I can trust him. And I know that I can trust him when he offers direction in my life because he's communicated to me that he is with me and that he's for me. And I've just found it so important. And so last week we, uh, we touched on, on Luke chapter 8, the story of the woman who had this, who had this issue of blood um, in Luke chapter 8. And so I just want to read that story again uh, I want to read that story again this morning and maybe look at it, touch on it from, uh, from a slightly different perspective. And so if you want to follow with me, I'm going to read uh, Luke chapter 8. I'm just going to start at uh, verse 40. Uh, we'll read those for seven or eight verses. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus a ruler of the synagogue. My goodness, that is depressing, that sound, isn't it? Jesus, please encourage Bridget right now. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been the subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. And when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And then we go on to read this incredible story that somebody came and told Jesus, Don't worry about it. Forget about it. The daughter of Jairus is dead and and Jesus dismisses it. He said she's not dead, she's merely asleep. And those that are gathered laugh at him and he goes in and he takes her by the hand. Takes this little girl by the hand and, uh, and tells her to get up. So I want, us to, I want us to think about this story, but I think this story for me, as I've considered it again throughout the week, I think not only was... Jesus doing here what we've talked about last week, that he was, his treatment of this woman communicated to her that he was with her, that he was for her, and then he did something, uh, he did something remarkable that completely transformed her life. And he gave her direction. He told her to go in peace. Because what, what should have happened was that she should have went and wait, still waited seven days until she had been made fully clean before she could come back into the life of the community. But the direction that Jesus offers says, you don't need to do that. Go in peace, daughter. You're healed. You're clean. You're set free. And I think if, if you're familiar with, with the pattern of the gospel story at all, you'll see how often Jesus gets himself into trouble with the religious elite, with religious people. Those religious people that wanted, wanted the labels, they were addicted to placing labels on people. They needed to have these labels so that they knew who was in and who was out. 
They needed to have those things. They needed it to be black and white. They needed to be able to say there is an us and them and we're in the us and the every, there, all of them people are in the them. And Jesus is just coming and turning all of that on its head. And so what he is accused of over and over again is he's breaking the law of Moses. It's the accusation that we see, it's the thread that goes right through so much of the, the, the tension, the animosity between Jesus and the, and the, and the Pharisees. Is the accusation that he is breaking the law of Moses. How can he be trusted? How can he be sent of God? How can he dare even claim himself to be the son of God? He's breaking the law of Moses. And so for me, I think what this story reminds me of, and many others, is that Jesus isn't breaking the law of Moses. He's actually reversing it. He's reversing it. He's not breaking it. He's reversing it. And if we were to go back to the Old Testament, and part of me doesn't want to do it because the Leviticus is the, it's one of those places when you're going through your Bible reading plan, the temptation is you're going to take a month off until Leviticus is done. It's a difficult place to, it's a difficult place to get yourself enthused by. But so much of the law, so much of what was said uh, throughout the Levitical law was to keep Israelites separate, separate from anything that was unclean. That's what the law was for. That's what they were, that's what they were, had given themselves to. And so if you want to just go to Leviticus 15, I almost don't want to read this, these verses, for fear of blushing as I read some of them. But I wanted you to catch, I wanted you to catch what the way that these, the way that these people were being brought up. They were brought up that the law was to keep them separate was to keep them separate from anything that was unclean. And so Leviticus 15, let me just give you an example. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when any man has a bodily discharge, this discharge is unclean. And when it continues flowing from his body, it will make him unclean. And so then look what happens, verse four, the bed that he touches is unclean. Anything he sits on unclean is, will be unclean. Everything that he touches, all his clothes, everything will be unclean. And we read on with this, it's the same pattern. It comes to the, it comes to, uh, the woman with a regular flow of blood, anything she touches, anything that she sits on, the clothes that she's wearing, everything is unclean. You need to get rid of it. You need to, you need to, you need to get it out of your life. You need to get it out of the way because everything was to keep the Israelites separate from anything that was unclean because their understanding is that anything that is clean becomes unclean. Anything unclean, like all the stuff that's mentioned, if it touches something that is clean, it becomes unclean. And so, so I think what I'm wanting to suggest this morning is that Jesus isn't necessarily breaking that. He's just revealing to us how he is reversing it. That's why the woman in Luke, she, this is how they've been brought up. And I think it's why she's terrified. It's why she is, is trembling at the thought of having to be exposed because she is unclean. She's been unclean for 12 years. The thought of what that woman, to reflect on that for a moment, to reflect, to think about what that woman went through for 12 years. Unclean, separate from family, separate from from 
community, separate from potentially a husband. We don't know all that she was separated from, but she know, we know that for, for 12 years, she was acknowledged as being unclean. And so for, I think for her, because she had touched Jesus, I think part of the fear that she had and why she came trembling was because she thought because she had touched him that now she had made him unclean. Because that's what the law had said. The law had said that anything that she touched would become unclean. And again, Jesus, we're told uh, in another part of Leviticus that she should have came. She, now that she was cleansed, even though the blood had stopped, she should have counted off seven days until she was clean and then came with a sacrifice to the priests of two doves or a pigeon. And then the priest would, uh, would make atonement for her before the Lord. I love that Jesus breaks that. I love that Jesus reverses that completely and he says, daughter, go in peace. It's not the way it works. And so there, it was never in their mindset. It was never something that the, that the people of God, that these religious people could comprehend. The possibility that, that a clean thing, that something clean could restore that which was unclean. And I hope you follow me because that's what Jesus came to do. That's what Jesus came to reverse. Jesus came to show us that the clean thing, what is clean, restores and cleanses that which is unclean. The clean thing. I feel like I'm saying clean and unclean so much. It's, the clean thing, it never restores the unclean until now in Jesus. And so he's, he's, he reverses the flow. He reverses the flow, and I think it's, it's why he calls us the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Even that, it feels like it's a reversing of the flow. We, as the light, we are the ones that come in and consume with the darkness. As the salt, we are the ones that come in and consume that which is tasteless or bland. We, we, we consume it. That which is clean restores the unclean. And so for, for me, as we follow through the story of Jesus and we come to, the, to this, the Great Commission in Acts, the call for us is to do the same as Jesus. The reminder for all of us is that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is, is in us. The reminder that we're given in John 14 through the words of Jesus himself, greater things you will do. You're going, to take, you're going to take the model, you're going to take the method that I've shown you and you're, going to, and you're going to take it everywhere. You're going to take it further than I ever could. This is what Jesus is saying. And everything that he'd done, everything that he'd done that was so countercultural, everything that he'd done that turned everything on his head is the life that he's calling us to live. He's calling us to do the same. He's calling us to walk in the same part. He is saying to us, I think what he is telling us through stories like we've just read in Luke chapter 8 is that when we touch unclean things, we are not tainted by them, but we make that which is unclean, clean.
like for me, this just this moment, I feel like this, that this is so important, but I'm really struggling to, to feel like I'm communicating it with enough clarity because I think it's it's key for us. Because I think for so many of us, we've been, we've been told certain places that we need to avoid, certain people that we need to stay away from because of the lifestyle that they live. They live they're, they're unclean. And we've been told to stay away. We've been told to avoid. And I'm not saying that there's, that there's, there's times and there's, there's a danger of compromise. I know that can happen. But we should never have been told that there is, a, there is places for us to avoid. We should never have been told that there is any people or any environment that we that 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 exists that is too unclean for us to walk into. I think with that mentality, it reveals there's still a bit of the old covenant still in us. There's a fear that that anywhere we go or anybody that we're with that is seemingly unclean, that we're going to be tainted by that in some way. That's not the way it works. That's not what Jesus reveals. Jesus reverses that completely. And the cleanest, purest, spotless one that ever lived, the cleanest person that ever lived, steps into those environments with no fear that he's going to be tainted by it because he is coming to make everything that is unclean, clean. He's calling us to do the same. I am uh, I'm wondering if you would humor me just for a moment. Because I, I think maybe most of you will know for the last number of months, uh, I've, been, I've been writing a book on the, on the story of drop-in. The drop-in story so far, we have, a, we have a title for it. We have a subtitle for it. We have got a forward. And on Friday night, Saturday morning, I uh, sent the last bit of uh, content to the editor uh, um, the book is now ready for print. And so part of me just wants you to humor me this morning and let me read one small bit out of it. And it's almost, I almost maybe should have done this a couple of weeks ago before I'd sent it to the publisher. Because if I read it now and you're looking like that sounds rubbish, it's like, uh-oh. Anyway, speaking about India, this is... Um, just 200 kilometers uh, north of Hyderabad, there is a small village called Parandla. It is one of the oldest villages in India and has a population of just over 600 people. Like many Hindu villages across India, there is a caste system that divides people into different categories based on their social status. Those at the lowest end of the system are known as Dalits, are more commonly referred to as the untouchables. In Parandla, these case distinctions are very much evident the higher castes refusing to acknowledge those of a lower caste. And it was into this place and this environment that God brought a man called Benjamin in the year 2000 to bring a message of hope to this previously unreached village. No one had heard the story of Jesus. None of these untouchables had heard of a God who would take on the nature of a servant with a touch of his hand, would open blind eyes, would heal the sick and set captives free with one touch would give dignity to those who were called unclean, would free those from the shame of being ignored and rejected. And so for the last couple of days, I've just been thinking about the experience that I had in India and thinking about just those lines that I wrote a number of months back and, and, and reminding myself of the, like I was a, it was a, like it was a massive moment for me spending a couple of days with these untouchables 
horrendous, like horrendous, horrendous word to be commonly known as. Spend time with people who, who had never known what it was like to be touched because of, because of fear that their dirt or their poverty or whatever reason it was for their, the place that they'd find themselves in, that to touch them or to be near them would, would make those of a higher class unclean. And part of us are like part. We we're we're almost offended by that. We're 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 disgusted by that. We're disgusted. How could anybody treat people? How could anybody treat people like that? How could anybody treat people in such a way that would that would communicate to them that they're of little value, they're of little worth, so much so that you wouldn't even touch them, you wouldn't even shake their hand, you wouldn't even lay a finger on them to embrace. But over and over again, we see how Jesus has reversed this. And so when he, when he meets the leper, the leper says to him, Jesus, if you're willing, make me clean. And you know that you're familiar. We're all familiar enough with Jesus to know that Jesus could have spoke a word as he so often did and said, you're clean. But Jesus takes him by the hand. He touches him. He almost sense. You almost sense the depth of this moment when he, when he looks this man in the eye and says, I am willing. And we, and we see that over and over again with Jesus. That those who had been, those that had been called unclean, those that had been ignored and rejected and set aside, that, that Jesus comes and embraces. He touches. Because he knows the call, the mandate that is on his life is to set people free, to release those that are in bondage, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that kingdom mandate is the same kingdom mandate that he, is, that he has entrusted to all of us. And part of that means is going to the untouchables. Knowing who we are in him and that we will not be tainted by anything that is unclean, but we as those that are clean, light of the world, salt of the earth. It's us that come and shift the atmosphere. It's us that come and, and, and make that which is unclean, clean. And I would love you to consider this morning, who is your untouchable? Who is your untouchable? Because for many of us will not, as we've already talked about, for some of us will never fly to the other part of the world. We'll never sit with these, the Dalit people in India. But you can guarantee, you can guarantee there's people in your mind that we that we have almost treated the same way. And so whether it's 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 members of a different political party, whether it's people in the LGBT community. Whoever it is, there's people in your mind now that you're, that you're, that you're thinking about. And I'd love you to be challenged by this. You wouldn't feel the need to avoid those environments, to avoid those people because you think you're going to be tainted. Jesus has come to reverse all of that. And he's calling us to do the same. He's calling us to walk with the, in the power of Jesus to do exactly the same. And I want to finish with one last, with one last illustration. 
And it's an illustration that it doesn't fully work, I don't think, but I think there's a principle in it that, that could be helpful. I was listening to a podcast last night, and, and um, Johnny Clark, who leads the work down in YWAM, was in conversation with a guy in America called Jonathan Martin. And, and as part of their conversation, uh, Johnny told the story of a social, social experiment that he'd heard about um, and uh, that first took place, he didn't, he couldn't remember whether it was in the UK or the US, somewhere in the West. And um, as for some of you maybe will maybe be uncomfortable with with this social experiment, um, but they they got a man to go into a shopping mall either in um, the UK or the US. It must be in the US shopping mall. Anyway. And they got a man to, I don't know exa exactly what he did, but got him to pretend that he was dead. To see how long it would take somebody to stop and help. And so they, in, this, in the West, in this supposedly developed country, it was 45 minutes before anybody came to help this man. And exactly the same experiment was done in a, in a poverty-stricken township in South Africa. Exactly the same setup, exactly the same scenario. The guy, in whatever way that he did it, pretended that he was dying or that he was dead. And it was four and a half seconds. It was four and a half seconds uh, before anybody in this township, this underdeveloped, supposedly, part of the world, responded to the need of this man. And as I was listening to that on my way home from Newcastle last night, it, it, I just felt like I was just caught by the, I just felt like I was caught by that story. Really challenged by it because there's times that I, maybe not an extreme example is that, but there's times where I know that I, I don't want to be tainted by somebody else's mess. I don't want to be tainted by getting involved in somebody else's trouble. Essentially, that was going on with why it took 45 minutes because people just don't want to get involved in the, in the mess. It's going to require something of them. It's going to require them to get messy. It's going to get, require them to get their hands dirty, get down their hands and knees. And Sometimes we just don't want tainted by someone else's mess by someone else's trouble. You know the story in Luke 10. Those guys that walked by on the other side, they, they, they thought that's what, the, that's what they had to do. They were so caught up in the Levitical laws that they thought they had to move away. This man was beaten, he was bloodied, he was in the side of the road. Touching him would have made them unclean. This was why they passed by on the other side. They thought they were doing what was right. They thought by avoiding the unclean that, it would, that, that that was the right thing to do. Because by touching anything that was unclean, it would have made them unclean. And Jesus has come to completely reverse that. And we see it in the example of the Good Samaritan. And so that's my challenge to you today. Like I think you can see, you're aware of, I am still trying to work some of this out in my, in my own life. I'm just trying to, to really take hold of this and be challenged by this. And it maybe feels a wee bit like that this morning. 
but I still think that the example that Jesus has given us is, is for us to, to live the same, to walk in the same power of Jesus, to go into those unclean environments, to be surrounded by those, I almost hate the it, but just the, the unclean labels, knowing that we're the light of the world, that we're the salt of the earth, and it's us that makes the unclean clean. And so, Father, I pray that just the, the, the challenge that you are you're bringing to us today is if God tried in some way to articulate that, but I just pray by your Holy Spirit that you would, that you would that you would articulate it really well in our own hearts and our own minds. That you would make sense of it for us this morning. We would be so challenged by this. God, we're just we're just so aware, so aware. That there's people that are just um, just never fully experienced the kindness and and mercy and love. Not only of Jesus, but just maybe of anyone. They've never experienced it. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just do something so radical in, in our hearts and in our lives today. That would just change how we see people. Would just change how we acknowledge people. It would change how we how we communicate our withness with people, our, our, our forness with people. And so Holy Spirit, as, as we've, we've already sang today, I am so aware how much I need you as we consider the call, this missional life, the call to live missionally that you've placed upon us all. And so God, I pray that you would give us confidence to trust that what Jesus said over us what he said over us, even though, even though he knew the struggles that we would have with our flesh, still calls us the light of the world, still calls us the salt of the earth. The darkness can no longer consume us. The rot it can no longer consume us because Jesus, you've you've changed everything. You've turned everything upside down. And so Jesus, we look to you. King Jesus, we look to you. King Jesus, we look to you and we pray that we would have a revelation this morning of your of your kingship. A revelation of the, the kingdom, the kingdom gospel that you've called us to carry. And we walk we walk under the rule and the reign of King Jesus. And God, I pray that we would know who we are. We know the authority that we carry and we just, it would just change. It would just change everything about how we see and how we do mission. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. God, even in the in our in our in our marriages or our friendships, I pray that you would help us to have some really bold conversations about just around this question: who our untouchables might be.
Thank you for ministry among the, the untouchables in in an unreached part of India that, that they have now known and experienced something that they never had before. A touch that would set them free. A touch that would restore dignity. A touch that would remove shame. And God, I pray that our treatment and our embrace of people would would uh, would say the same as it's doing among these this people group in India. Jesus, we worship you and everything that I'm saying, everything that I'm trying to do, God, is because I'm, I'm trying to look to you. So will you forgive me for for anything that is that's just maybe not of you, God? Anything that I say that's maybe not of you, God, I just want to live in such a way that fully reflects who you are, that fully reflects the nature of King Jesus. Long to be aligned in following after the way. 